Welcome to the St. Paul's Episcopal Church podcast. Here, we will share our thoughts, voices, and prayers. St. Paul's is a progressive community of faith with ancient roots. You can find out more about St. Paul's at their website, stpauls.dioup.org, or find us on Facebook. If you would like to share your words on this podcast, send us a message. May God's peace be with you today and always. In today's podcast, Charlie West reflects on the Sunday's readings and on reclusive monk Simeon Stylitz, and he gives us a prayer. You can read along in Charlie's blog, Words Twice a Week, at wordstwiceweek.blogspot.com. Words Twice a Week, 1-7. Words Twice a Week on Thursday is a set of introductory thoughts about the scripture lessons for Sunday coming up. They're presented in a bulleted list, and I use this sound to uh, represent the bullet points and uh, start of a new thought. This probably works best if you have script, if you've looked at the scripture lessons ahead of time, or at least have them at hand to scan as we go along. And the lessons that we're looking at today are Psalm 29, Genesis 1, 1 to 5, and Mark 1, 4 to 11. And I know this is supposed to be the one where we look at the lessons, not the days, but backspace to January 6th, Trump supporters stormed the Capitol building. Okay, did not see that coming. Backspace again to January 5, some of Western Christianity, in particular the Roman Catholic Church, recognizes and remembers Simeon Stilides. I guess, yeah, on January 5, and he was enough of a character that we should take note. Uh, Note this is not the Simeon from last week. He was born about 390 and entered a monastery at the age 16, but was so extreme in his austerity that the brothers judged him unsuited and asked him to leave. Then he spent a year and a half in a small hut. Then he found a ledge on... Sheikh Barakat Mountain, part of Mount Simeon, that was about 20 meters in diameter. But people kept disturbing him, asking for prayers or counsel. So he found a pillar, built a platform on top of it, and determined to live out the rest of his life on it. His first pillar was about 10 feet tall. Later, he moved to higher ones. The last one was 50 or 60 feet. And he had a platform on top that tradition says was one square meter although some say it was bigger. According to Edward Gibbon in his History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, in this last and lofty station, the Syrian Anachoret resisted the heat of 30 summers and the cold of as many winters, end quote. 
Apparently he lived to be about 68 years old and died on September 2, 459. He was buried near the pillar. The church was built up around the pillar, but then in the uh, words of Wikipedia, unfortunately on May 12, 2016, the pillar within the church took a hit from a missile, end quote. So, how big is the average residence today? I have to admit, tiny houses intrigue me. On to this week's lesson, Psalm 29. Okay, I don't really like Psalm 29. I used to. I used to think it was really cool. We read it, adding one more group of people with each verse so that it got louder and louder and ended with a great crash. I always wanted to get a couple of timpani, kettle drums, we used to call them, to end with. But then I read this article, Rescuing Earth from a Storm God, Psalm 29 and 96 to 97, by Norman C. Habel. He was one of the moving forces behind the season of creation that many churches observed towards the end of the season after Pentecost, and also by Geraldine Avent, about how Psalm 29 portrays God as ecologically and environmentally violent and destructive, and how Psalm 96 uh, verse 7 to 97 verse 6 has a similar theme and structure but presents God as creating, nurturing, restoring. He writes in Psalm 29, earth is reduced to a battered object. In the second hymn, Psalm 96 and 97, earth becomes a subject, a thou who rejoices and celebrates. In terms of the eco-justice principles reflected in our approach, Psalm 29 devalues earth by treating it as a domain for divine power plays, while Psalm 96 and 97 acclaim the participation of and the consequent valuing of the entire earth community in a rich response to Yahweh's advent. It is especially obvious that the first psalm negates and silences the voice of earth, while the second psalm makes the voices of earth and the wider earth community, a community that includes everything from the fish of the sea and the trees of the forest to the skies above and all peoples below, makes their voices central to its call to celebrate." End quote. So ever since, I've had issues with Psalm 29. There you are. Genesis 1, 1 to 5, and this um, piece from uh, the book A Small Fiction is for all of you uh, dog people. And God said, let there be dog, and there was dog. And God saw that dog was good, and said, who's a good dog? And it was dog. Yes, it was. And then I'm always glad to look at Genesis 1 because it gives me an excuse to return to my favorite book on the creation, Splendor of Creation by Ellen Bernstein. On uh, Genesis 1, 1, she notes, the idea that a God exists who created heaven and earth is truly profound it means that the earth we walk upon, the air that we breathe, the food that we eat, all are signs that the world is filled with mystery, end quote. All this stuff isn't just here by accident for us to do with as we wish, but it is here because God intended and intends for it to be here. And still from Bernstein, God called the light day and the darkness night, but then Genesis says that there was evening and there was morning 
And apparently in Hebrew, the word we translate as evening carries connotations of chaos. And the word we translate as morning has connotations of order. And they are boundary terms. So she writes, every day the world goes through another round of chaos and order. Every day we are reminded of the essential cycle of creation. Both light and darkness, order and chaos are critical to the fabric of life. Again, end quote. Where do you encounter chaos and order? Or, here's an interesting question from a United Methodist, where in the life of the congregation, even in our worship, does chaos reside? Where does order reside? How comfortable are we with each? And how is God's spirit involved in this? Okay, Mark 1, 4 to 11, Jesus gets baptized. Have you been baptized? When? How? Is it something you remember or have been told about? United Methodists typically baptize infants, so I don't have any memory of it. I have been told by my mother that I screamed all through it. John the forerunner, the messenger, in particular here, the baptizer. Note that according to Mark, John preaches a baptism for repentance for the forgiveness of sin. In Matthew, John said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is that a significant difference? Okay, yes, and later on he does get to, I baptize you with water for repentance. Everyone went out to be baptized by him, kind of like a Billy Graham crusade. Would you have gone? Jesus comes and gets baptized. Note that there's no hesitation on John's part here. I suppose because Jesus didn't look any different from all the rest. And in fact, when the dove and the voice come, Mark says, He, Jesus, heard and saw. You are my beloved son. Not clear if anyone else did. As Matthew tells the story, John recognized Jesus even as he did in the womb in Luke 1 and has to be convinced to baptize Jesus. So thinking about all that, does it encourage us to see Jesus in those around us? In some of those around us, or all of them? In those who are sinners coming to be baptized? <clears throat> John ate bugs. They say it's a good source of protein and better for the environment than eating beef. I once ate some cookies made with grasshopper flour or something like that. I don't know. About as far as I go. I could be vegetarian. But eating bugs, let's take a line from Lindsey Graham, count me out. And John dressed in natural clothing. What clothing issues do we encounter today? For example, I like 100% cotton, but apparently it's hard on the soil. And the whole fast fashion thing where we need new shirts each year or even each season is something to consider. How is Jesus mightier than John? Would it have been helpful for Jesus to have John describe him thus or not? What adjectives would you use to describe the difference between John and Jesus? Front man and main act? And finally, we've considered it before, but if our sins are washed away, where do they go? Do the folks who live downstream from us, geographically, or temporally, 
have to deal with them. How are baptism with water and baptism with the Spirit related? How has that worked out in your life? And here's a prayer for today. Eternal God, you smiled and the light broke upon our world. And your presence throughout creation brings healing and beauty and wonder. We stand at the start of a new year, but one which already carries the burden left to it by last year. Give us the wisdom, the vision, and the determination to see that this year reduces that burden rather than adding to it. Help us do things that will have you smiling again. That's what I got.